Just a quick reminder that I do now have a second podcast called Track Nerds, where I have guests on to discuss travel, exercise, and movies and TV. Check it out. Okay, enjoy the show. Okay, so this was a movie that when I finished watching it, I kind of felt, oh man, I didn't know anything about the Mexican Revolution, and I feel like now I kind of do. Then I started doing a little research and realized, oh, they way oversimplified and changed a lot of things on this, and all of a sudden I felt like, okay, maybe I actually don't know anything other than maybe some names of some significant people, because they changed a lot. Yeah, basically the (laughs) The only thing that I knew about it was that, like, Pancho Villa was there at some point. Right, which is a name we recognize. Other than that, right, and that was that was it. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same way. I didn't, I didn't know hardly anything about it. And you're absolutely right about the simplification of it for the movie, because if you wanted to tell the, the whole story, obviously, you can't tell it all in, in a two-hour movie. True, but it even left out important characters. Like, did you? Right. You could like the was it the Carranza that became president later? Carranza. Like, just not in yeah, the movie at they, all. They just completely skipped over him entirely. Yeah. Right. And it, it does say on the on the Wikipedia page for the movie, it does mention this is a fictionalized account of Emiliano right. Zapata's life. So it's not necessarily intended as good historical fiction. It was, and actually, the script is written by John Steinbeck of all people, and who was just trying to tell a. Good good story and it, it ties back to what we even talk about with Braveheart where it's an entertaining movie that made significant changes to the history for the sake of storytelling and again you know it just so we just kind of like movies to be a little closer so let's start with kind of where the movie starts and just kind of as necessary pop in to say where they got it right and wrong. So it does start with a group of peasants visiting the office of President uh, Portfolio Diaz. I butchered that, as always. Oh, yeah. I was going to say we should probably like <laughs> start off with a, a blanket apology <laughs> for the uh, very incorrect and likely very anglicized pronunciations of all of the names in this movie. And every movie. Every movie, frankly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Logan and I are two of the whitest guys you will ever meet. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, we apologize. So yes, uh, President Diaz, I'll skip the first name, or of course, again, names are so complicated here because, I mean, he has got like five names. Anyway, President Diaz has actually been in office for, what, 30-some years at this point? Uh, the movie actually didn't even show how old he was. He was actually pushing 80 at the time that this meeting would have taken place, and they don't really go into that, I don't think. Anyway, so the peasants and farmers or whatever are complaining about land that's being just straight up stolen from them. Like fences, I think they say fences have been put up on land they've been farming. And if they try to get on the other side of the fencing, they're just going to be shot at. And the president's like, well, you know, we'll we'll get to it when we get to it. We'll see. And they're like, well, we don't have time. We're just going to starve to death. We can't plant crops. And one of the farmers in the midst is played by Marlon Brando. And again, in a role that would not hold up in 2019 as far as why did you cast Marlon Brando to play a Mexican? And we'll just kind of, I guess, put that to the side for now because I just think in the 1950s especially, no offense was meant 
Yes, it looks like they darkened his skin with makeup a little bit, but it wasn't meant as offensive or mocking. He, I do feel, was trying to give a faithful portrayal of Zapata and honor him in a way. It's just unfortunate, you know, looking back with our 2019 hindsight, that they chose a, a white American actor uh, to do so. But yes, he expresses his displeasure, I guess, rather aggressively to the point that Diaz wants his name. And it's kind of a, a point that the movie makes that it'll it'll tie back to a couple times with uh, just kind of the calling out of troublemakers. And we want to keep an eye on those troublemakers and know who they are so we can deal with them as needed in the future. Right. And that's when, when Diaz uh, calls him out, he circles his name. And that obviously is, is called back to you later. And the... Uh, in the trailer, because I watched the trailer before I uh, watched <laughs> <Nice>. the movie, <laughs> they, uh, you know, they, they talk about, you know, Emiliano Zapata, the main, the man whose name was circled. <laughs> it's in the trailer? <laughs> yes, it's in the trailer. <laughs> um, I do think this is an interesting approach because we've heard of Pancho Villa, even though I couldn't tell you necessarily what he did or when he lived or all that, but it was at least a name as an American I was familiar with. Zapata, not so much. And frankly, everyone else in this movie, not so much. So it's interesting that we do get Via as a character here later, but just in a very, very supporting role. And again, I think Zapata is definitely way more nationally known in Mexico, but it was just kind of, I thought, neat to do it from his point of view and kind of regulate Via to a background character. I think uh, Pancho Villa, we probably only know about him because of, well, through the lens of uh, American history, because during during the time of the uh, Mexican Revolution, obviously it's World War One, but tensions between the U.S. and Mexico were really, really high, which we probably don't have time to get into in addition to all of the Mexican Revolution stuff. But I mean, there was there were a couple times that uh, it looked like the U.S. would probably go to war with Mexico. In the 19 teens, yeah, it, it was uh, one of the one of the things that happened that escalated tensions was America had sent troops into Mexico to try and capture Pancho Villa at one point. Yes, and I have it in my notes here too. One of the big things the movie does ignore altogether is not only the United States uh, influence and interest in Mexico at the time, but also the German influence and interest in Mexico at the time. And right. yeah, you could probably argue that World War One is maybe what just ended up distracting the United States from having the time and resources to be able to go to war with Mexico at this time. Right. And then you have the whole thing with like the Zimmerman telegram, which was actually trying to kind of do the opposite of that, where they were trying to get America mired and bogged down in a war with Mexico so that they wouldn't be able to fight in World War One, Or if they were, they would at least be kind of hamstrung by this other war they were fighting on their own continent. Right. And so I, I didn't take super good notes during the movie like I usually do and probably was a mistake because uh, <laughs> I, I don't have a, the, my plot detailed out as well as I would like to in my head. But roughly speaking, so they go out, they, they start kind of button heads with the people, you know, taking up their farmland. And basically, they're just they're ready to fight. They're ready to fight now. They're tired of the corruption of this Diaz guy that's been in office for decades. And basically, you know, the movie doesn't get in too much as far as how corrupt he was but he basically did just kind of it's similar to like uh, a saddam or a kim jong-un where or putin now where technically they have elections but if you run against him you're probably going to end up in prison and he just didn't allow anybody to run against him for 30 years 
Well, and he had all the support of the right people. So, you know, even though he's he's hated by these farmers whose lands he's not taking but allowing to be taken, he's well-liked by the richer uh, business owners in Mexico because he had a lot of, you know, pro-corporate, pro-business politics, and he was kind of letting them do whatever they wanted. And uh, his policies, basically, it it was just like you see in the movie where, that you know, they started taking lands from farmers that were planting food crops and they started planting, you know, cash crops. You know, that, that was a, a, a huge reason why it was the, the farmers that were, that were revolting against him because he, he just had these anti-poor policies for so long. Right, yeah, basically just the case of the rich and powerful getting more rich and powerful and basically did themselves a disservice by letting it get to the breaking point where the poor people were now so downtrodden and desperate, they essentially had no choice but to fight against the establishment because it was basically that or die. And so it does get to the point of revolution. So the next person who then comes into play here is, uh, was it uh, Madero, right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So Madero, who himself was actually from the upper class, but maybe enough of an idealist that he definitely sided with the peasant farmers. He was against the open corruption of Diaz and supported his ousting and did, you know, try to run against them unsuccessfully earlier. And then, uh, oh, what was it? Actually, they have, an, they have an election. He wins the election. And then basically that result is just ignored. And then they basically, you know, raise the, you know, the uprising and, you know, it, it, it goes to war, battle ensues, and Diaz is forced to finally resign in 1911, and Madero becomes president. And even that was a months-long process to actually get to where he was actually the sitting president and just, again, yeah, realize it, it was more complicated. It took Madero six months to set up his government after he had ousted Diaz, and uh, apparently he was not really well-liked by the legislative branch in Mexico because a lot of those guys were still pro-Diaz guys. Right. And also, he was not well-liked by the press, which under Diaz, they were kind of... No one was allowed to write anything negative about the presidency. But now under Madero, he's a, you know, he was more of an idealist. So he says, okay, yeah, right. Freedom of the press, you know, write whatever you want, guys. And they're like, you're an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, basically not like metaphorically. Yeah, they basically started attacking the moment they had the right to attack. And the movie paints Madero as, I think, a very pure, if naive idealist. Probably an oversimplification. He doesn't seem to have been a bad guy. But it was definitely more complicated than the, the movie would would have you believe. He is then fairly shortly ousted in a military coup by uh, Huerta. Huerta was the, the yeah. general who uh, ousts him and, and, in the movie and in real life. And they, they show it in the movie, too, where he's uh, assassinated by uh, Huerta's men. Which that actually came after kind of a big thing that I had written down here was the reason why Huerta was sent to Zapata in the first place was because when Madero took power, he wanted all the revolutionaries to disband their forces and give up their weapons. That's right. And Zapata refused. That's in the movie, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Because he said, well, who's going to enforce the laws of the country? And he said, oh, well, you know, the army and the police. And Zapata's like, well, these are the guys that we just got done fighting a war against. Like, it's literally the same guys. Right. So we're going to keep our guns. We don't want to give up basically our only protection against, you know, these now legitimized 
guys that we were just fighting a revolutionary war against. And uh, so when Zapata refused, well, so in the movie, they made it seem like it was maybe like Huerta was kind of acting on his own. Oh, right. um, but in real life, it was Mexican Congress sent him to squash this new rebellion that was Emiliano Zapata not wanting to give up his weapons, which is is uh, very significant. And and it, it kind of also kind of highlights too that as anything, I think we're just kind of used because you think of like the American War of Independence. It's like, oh yeah, the colonists versus the British, two right. sides. American Civil War, the North versus the South. These revolutions, and we'll get to another one here next week, are just way more complicated as far as the factions against each other. So it's like Huerta is actually kind of with Madero, and then Madero is actually supposedly with the farmers, but then all three are actually kind of fighting against each other at the same time later, and it just, it's messy. Very, very, very messy. And we're obviously not going to do it justice or have time to break it all down or even understand it well enough here. But yes, the the point of the weapons was, uh, you're right, a very significant one where it's like, why are we going to disarm ourselves when the people who we were literally just fighting are still the people who are now supposed to protect us? We don't think that's going to work. So we're going to keep our guns. Right. And then uh, geographically, so that's all kind of breaks down too. So Madero and then also Villa, who is an important kind of background character within the movie, kind of more from the north and... Zapata was basically the leader in the South. So a lot of these revolutions were even kind of happening independently. So we're in the state of Morelos, which is where Zapata is. And so again, pockets of revolution were kind of happening everywhere. And after Madero is assassinated, some of the various factions are kind of forced to get together. And then that's where we kind of see Villa and Zapata join forces, right? To go up against Huerta, who's basically established himself as like a military dictator, at least for the moment in the movie. Right. Which is, that's not really how it happened in No, in real right, life, but though. in the movie, that kind of, yeah, that's how they simplify it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so okay, so in the movie they do with that, so what did they, what did happen in real life then? So, in real life, Huerta basically had Madero killed um, in 1913 and took power in a coup, and so he was the president, but only for about a year, because then a guy named Carranza came and took power from Huerta, and Huerta fled to the United States. And one of the guys that helped Carranza take power was Pancho Villa, who uh, supported Carranza against Huerta. But after Carranza took power, Pancho Villa had further left-leaning political views than Carranza did. So then Pancho Villa and Emiliano Zapata teamed up to fight Carranza in the Mexican Civil War, um, after which Carranza was actually victorious. But then he was assassinated in 1920. Yeah, it's a mess. But that's getting beyond the scope of, of this episode. But yeah, so it's... So so in the movie, so it's not even like they combine Huerta and Carranza into one character. They almost just eliminate Carranza and then just have Huerta be a threat for longer than he was. But then even when they do defeat Huerta in the movie, and they kind of jump ahead... They almost just ignore Carranza and Huerta altogether and just kind of pretend that the revolutionaries are kind of now in charge. Because we get a scene echoing the one from the beginning where Zapata is almost kind of proxy in charge, at least in southern Mexico. So I'm just trying to... But that's just basically completely fabricated then, right? Yeah, unless that was like something that happened at some point, maybe while Carranza was in power, before Villa was in power. Right, right. Sorry, not in power, but before... Pancho Villa and Emiliano Zapata then started the revolution against Carranza. And oh, I, I had a note here somewhere, too, where basically the movie left some really good stuff out that would have actually made it more interesting. 
Well, we should say Anthony Quinn plays his brother, uh, Brando's brother, another Zapata, Ufimio. Okay, anyway, uh, his brother. Uh, <laughs> in an Oscar-winning performance, actually, Anthony Quinn won Best Supporting Actor for playing Zapata's brother here. Remind me how he's killed in the movie. I know he kind of he kind of sets himself up as like a little mini dictator and kind of bullying. Basically, he kind of chastises his brother for being too much of an idealist and just helping and not doing anything for himself. It's like, you're this great general, but you're still poor. Like, why didn't you take advantage? And Anthony Quinn's character says, I'm going to get what's mine. I'm going to, I'm going to take this land that I want. I'm going to take the women that I want and just kind of be, be my own little mini boss down here. And then how does he end up dead though? It's when Zapata is at the, he's at the palace and he's kind of like in charge now. Right. The, there's a group of farmers that shows up and they're like, hey, man, your brother took all of our farms and uh, we want you to help us get them back. At first, you know, Zapata's like, how dare you talk to him? You, you know, talk about him like that. He's a general. Right. He's a war hero. And uh, this is where we get the, you know, he asks the guy what his name is. And he's like Hernandez. And so he goes and he circles the name and then he he realizes, oh, my God, I've become the thing that I was Correct. fighting against for so long. And you know, ends up throwing away the list and decides, all right, it shouldn't matter whether or not he's a general or whether or not he's my brother. If if he is going to revert back to this, you know, sort of I'm going to take what's mine attitude then you know, he needs to be stopped. So then he goes with these farmers to try and uh, convince his brother to stop what he's doing. And I think one of the farmers shoots him. See, that's why I couldn't remember who actually I know he got shot, but I couldn't remember who shot him. So it wasn't in battle though. It yeah. was just yeah, personal grievance. No, 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 no. It was and and that was kind of confusing because it like I thought that like all the farmers were in that same room with him because he you know he says oh I'm I'm just gonna leave and then somebody comes like from the other end of the house and shoots him. Okay, that that wasn't very clear though. But I, my my whole point of bringing it up was the real story is I thought more interesting. So yes, he has a very brief Wikipedia entry, but Emiliano Zapata's brother Euphemio or whatever was. Kind of just this big manly man, womanizer, drunk, and okay. So there, he he beat up this guy's dad, and the guy tracked him down and shot him. And he's like, "I'm bleeding to death from a stomach wound. Just put me out of my misery." And the guy says, "You have made many people suffer a great deal. Live a little longer, so that you will learn what it is to suffer." And just kind of lazy lets him bleed out, as opposed to putting him out of his misery. Which, I, again, I thought that would have been, you know, maybe something they could have worked into the movie. That's real life? That's what actually happened? Yeah. That's so much more badass than what happened No, in the right. Movie. Well, the other one is, uh, oh man, I need to find it. So the other one is where, uh, oh yeah, it's way down here. When Zapata himself, the whole machinations of how they end up taking Zapata himself out was way cooler in, in real life. So... In the movie, basically, and again, I think, is it Huerta that basically orders the ambush on Zapata, or is he out of the way in the movie at, by this point, too? Who who ta- who wants to take him out in the movie? Oh, my gosh. Unless it is Carranza, and they just don't name him. I, I just don't, because it's not Villa. Yeah, I just watched this, like, it, it might have been Huerta. See, I think they just kept Huerta in the whole thing, and kind of just got rid of Carranza, yeah. and just kept Huerta as the bad guy, because it was simple. Right, yeah. Even I, though he would have been I, gone by this point, yeah. I just watched this two days ago and I don't remember, but it has to have been Huerta, but I don't remember where they get rid of Huerta. So 
It, yeah. Yeah. It, okay. So I don't think they do. I think it is Huerta the whole time. Or they convince him that he's not involved, though. So the idea in the movie is that you know they still need supplies. And his wife, and well, of course, we can get into the misogyny of that relationship here. But um, oh. yeah, so they basically say, hey, we need supplies. And there's these people that are going to give us supplies if we go to this certain place. And his wife senses an ambush. And he's like, no, we got to take a chance. And they convince him that it's in earnest. Like basically, it's it's something somebody they trust. Or I forget exactly how it plays right, it's out. A- a uh, Mexican army colonel that has a regiment that he wants to defect with. Gotcha. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, we we got, uh, you know, all these supplies, all this ammunition, all these explosives. And we want to defect from where to your side, yeah. Right, and I think they even, because he asked, he's like, well, how do I know this guy's legit? And they're like, oh, well, he killed, you know, so-and-so, and that guy's been, you know, a, a huge problem for us for a long time. And Okay. So, yeah, it's kind of this this ruse that this colonel sets to try and get Zapata to, to show up because he, he knows that the revolutionaries are, are low on, on supplies and low on ammunition, which I think Zapata kind of says, like, well, I don't really have a choice. I kind of have to. So, yeah, so he goes and uh, his, his wife's fears were confirmed and he's basically pretty much immediately just uh, executed with no not firing squad. Basically, yeah, this ambush and just like there's, you know, probably what, 40 guns on him just opening fire and just riddling him with bullets yeah right and that's basically the end of the movie and in real life it's i guess it's kind of similar to that so basically uh it says the pato tried to get this note to uh a certain revolutionary and it was on Huerta's side or well again whoever's side was against him at the time because Huerta i think was probably gone at this point basically trying to get, he's trying to get an important figure to switch sides and the letter was intercepted and it says uh, General Gonzalez. Again, it's just there's just so many more characters in real life, which makes sense that you know real life is everybody versus movies have finite casts. Anyway, right. so this uh, Gonzalez guy that intercepted the message from Zapata says he's going to kind of use that. He he knows Zapata's trying to get this guy to switch sides, so we're going to let Zapata think he is switching sides. So. Basically, timed it. Said, "Okay, you're gonna you're you're gonna tell Zapata you're going to his side, but we're gonna time it to sync up with this new shipment of weapons and everything that he wants." So Zapata told the guy who was gonna switch sides to attack a garrison. They actually go ahead and do, and a lot of former Zapata people who had defected to the other side were killed. And this is kind of is what you know convinces Zapata that everything is in earnest. So he does go to get the supplies and is killed. And I guess it is probably what they do in the movie. They just don't explain it well enough in the movie, maybe. And I, not that I explained it great there, but a lot of stuff that's kind of happened behind the scenes, the movie kind of leaves out that this was a specific person he was trying to target for defection, who the letter was intercepted, and so that's kind of how they set it up against him. As opposed to in the movie, we just assume, eh, it might be an ambush, but in real life, there's a specific reason why they knew to set it up that way. Yeah, and I, I think narratively, too, it, for the movie, maybe it, it works better that you don't know for sure whether it's an ambush or not. True, because otherwise we would have known for sure. We, we kind of yeah, we were like, oh, you know, the movie's about running out of time here. He's probably going to die. But at the same time, yeah, you're right. There, right. You, you have that doubt then versus if they had just spelled it out and shown this Gonzalez's guy point of view, then you would have known exactly what was up. So you're right. It kind of keeps that suspense going. And the last thing they do in the movie that does kind of echo what happened in real life then is the one person on Zapata's side, when they see the kind of bullet riddled body, throws out, ah, you know what? This isn't, look, look at this. How do, how do we know this is even Zapata? Is he so, he's so full of bullet holes, this could be anybody. 
I bet Zapata's right. still alive in the mountains, ready to help us when we need. And it's you right. kind of know that he's kind of bluffing it, but he's he's just kind of intentionally building up that kind of thought. And he did kind of become this larger-than-life figure. And again, way down deep on the Wikipedia page, it says, in the long run, Zapato in martyrdom was almost a, was a more important figure for the revolution and Mexican pride and everything. And he does, does become this kind of hero. He's just a major hero of the Mexican revolution and a person who fought for the people and probably was the idealist that they portray him as in the movie. Yeah, he's just he's just one of the great Mexican national heroes to to this day. Yeah, and I didn't see much about his actual like marriage or anything like that. And I, so we might chalk that up to just kind of nineteen fifties machismo. But man, yeah. he is just ruthless to the girl he wants to marry, and she's loving it. <laughs> it's just <laughs> so frustrating. It makes me think of like, do you ever see the John Wayne movie, A Quiet Man? No. It's like just like literally like throw the girl kicking and screaming over your shoulder and yep, that's romantic. <laughs> it's like <laughs> no. No. What are we doing? It's like when uh that scene when uh when he meets her in the church yes. and he has his brother cover his mom's mouth so she won't <laughs> scream. Yes. And then he's like he's like asking her like, "Hey, will you go with me so we can get married?" and she's like, "No." And he's like, "I can take you by force, you know." And then she's like, well, I would murder you in your sleep. <laughs> yes, you did that. Yes. And they end up married and happy. <laughs> well, yeah. It, well, even in the immediate scene after oh, that. right. After they leave, they're like, I like him. She's like, oh, I like him too. Like, yeah, wasn't that a great conversation <sighs> we just had about how he was going to like, you know, forcibly kidnap me and then I was going to murder him? That was pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so smitten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, uh, that, that does not hold up well at all okay so again we were kind of scattershot all over the place there simple version is poor mexican farmers finally rose up got powerful help and it was chaos for about a decade so this movie actually starts i think it was 1909 in the initial title card which kind of backtracks from our where we're at in our timeline because we're already past world war one but then also then it goes through zapata's death which i think was what 1920 so the, the movie itself really gives no indication that 10 years uh, have passed. Uh, Nineteen nineteen, it looks like when he was killed. But yeah, you have no idea that it's a ten-year time span in the movie. It almost feels like a matter of months, which is how simplified they made made the story. Yeah, yeah. So he was just kind of constantly fighting the quote good fight for the people while all the political chaos was happening, and ultimately he did become a martyr for the cause. I guess that's the simple version of, and then kind of fits what we see in the movie and what actually happened. Once you don't go into detail, you don't have to <laughs> explain away all the things they got wrong. Okay, so this is an Elia Kazan movie, and that is not a super known name in today's circles. Again, he, he's definitely not a household name, but the, this is this guy had quite a run. So uh, Elia Kazan was also Streetcar Named Desire, On the Waterfront, East of Eden, Gentleman's Agreement. Which I think... Uh, Viva Zapata was sandwiched between Streetcar Named Desire and On the Waterfront. Correct, right? it's kind of his Brando trilogy. So yeah. it's like a it's like a series of like three movies that uh, Ali, where Ali Kazan was uh, directing Marlon Brando, and then like 
world-class writing. I mean, this one's fr- written by... Oh, Steinbeck, uh, yeah. John Steinbeck and uh, Streetcar Named Desire. Well, that's, I mean, it's basically just a... a you, he was just filming the play, but that's a Tennessee Williams play. Right. But talk about some, some heavy hitters. Yeah, it, indeed. When I'm talking about the average script from John Steinbeck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and then Kazan ends up with... Uh, so he only has 19 movies to his credit on IMDb and five of those got him best director nominations. So imagine that over a quarter of the time he directed a movie, he was nominated for best director. Right. And this, this is a guy who Stanley Kubrick, who I consider to be, I mean, just like numbers wise, one of the best directors of all time. Stanley Kubrick is like, this guy is one of the best directors of all time. Yes. Did it say when he said that? I mean, I'm curious if he said that it's like Kubrick was just getting started because they overlap. You could argue Kubrick. No, yeah. I just see the I just see the the quote from Kubrick that says, "Without question, the best director we have in America and capable of performing miracles with the actors he uses." And he's talking about Alien Kazan. Yes, and, and, but it, it doesn't. There's no year on that quote. But. Okay. Okay. But yes, yeah, we're working with uh, Brando and and also too. So. It looks like, if I'm reading it right, he was the original director of A Streetcar Named Desire on Broadway or on the stage, and it was kind of a controversial choice to bring in a young Brando to be on the stage version of that, and then using them again in the movie version. And of course, that gets into like the whole Brando and method acting thing, that basically you could argue that Brando and Kazan right. kind of helped team up to innovate that. East of Eden by Kazan, also you get where that's you know the first movie with uh, James Dean. So what ultimately, though, as good a director, and again, you know, people like Kubrick are singing his praises, he ends up kind of on the outs because he testified in the whole McCarthy communist stuff. And right. on, basically, he, he, Kazan's testimony helped ruin the careers of people who probably did not need their careers ruined by Joseph McCarthy. Well, and that's controversial too because there's people who say well alia kazan he didn't actually name anybody that they didn't already have evidence against right it was protecting himself yeah but that's all that kind of makes it worse because it's like well he just wanted to like participate in it then like he just wanted to well did he have a, a part cho- of did it. he have a choice to testify or not i mean i didn't get too i think into he that. did oh, yeah okay. i think okay. i think he testified i think that was like the reason why people were so upset about it is because like he didn't testify because he had to and he didn't testify because he had this like all this special evidence. He just wanted to be part of it. Okay, yeah, it, it was it was to the point that basically decades later, when he's getting like a lifetime achievement award, there's people in the audience just sitting there, arms crossed, not clapping for the guy because of yes. his his role during those McCarthy hearings and, and stuff like that right. at that time. Right, and yeah, and and that that's an, another one. I, I don't remember if that was on or off the record that we were talking about this last week, but you know the the whole being able to separate uh, a person from their true, work. True, true. Some, some people, when when he was getting that award, some people could and, and some people couldn't. Right, so. and, yeah, and, and I don't know enough, you know, as far as his, his character outside of directing. Yeah, that doesn't affect my appreciation of his movies. I love this guy's movies. I mean, Zapata is probably the worst of his movies I've seen, and it's solid. And yeah, you look at the 19, I went through them just kind of real quickly there. It looked like 15 of his 19 movies were over a seven on IMDb. And there's movies I hadn't even heard of until, you know, 30 minutes ago. And they have like an 8.2. And so just really, really good movies. I need to probably continue to go through here. Like On the Waterfronts, one of my all-time favorites. Gentleman's Agreement is just amazing. Street Card, I need to rewatch. Just 
very, very talented director. And I was looking through two. Did you see who his granddaughter is? No. Is it another famous granddaughter? Yes. It's Zoe Kazan from Buster Scruggs and from The Big Sick. Yeah, that's his granddaughter. Okay, that makes sense. Who... Yeah. yeah, and she's she's I'm I'm super jealous she's with Paul Dano, but uh, <laughs> uh, she's just too cute. But uh, yeah, so that's his granddaughter. Hmm. Uh, as far as the Brando side of things, so yeah, he kind of did like you were saying, start his career in in movies with Kazan because Streetcar, uh, 1951, is kind of considered Brando's like breakout his, into Hollywood. Like breakout. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. Again, he's, he had already been an actor on stage doing Streetcar there. And then when they do the movie, it was just like, oh, this guy is here to play. Because right. in, in uh, 51, he would have been 27, 26, 27 years old. And it just kind of then starts a nice run f- for Brando. It looks like it wasn't his first movie. It was his second movie credit here on IMDb. But he goes from Streetcar to Viva Zapata to then he's playing Mark Antony in Julius Caesar just a couple years later and then you get on the waterfront and then guys and dolls and he's marlon brando yeah I mean, it's, it's yeah. just oh, uh, a star overnight yeah, it's, star it's just, yeah i yeah an iconic performance after iconic performance basically for his entire career yeah and and, and i mean yeah, and even they, all the way you know the godfather and apocalypse now and it's right right it's brand and, and yeah guys, and, yeah definitely. that guy's career is insane yeah kind of went you know famously i guess though from uh Heartthrob to, I was gonna say meatball. I don't know. Just the, I, don't, I don't know why that was the word association that just came came to mind. Kind of went the Orson Welles route, where you know, uh, good-looking young guys who just became large older guys. And just because this is a history podcast, and I think I actually mentioned it in the episode on a man for all seasons. We're kind of on the other side of that now. I compared Henry VIII to Brando and Orson Welles, so now we're kind of to a Brando movie. I think this is our first Brando movie on the list. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing. So we we see Henry VIII as kind of just you know the pictures of him and his you know his fifties or sixties when he's just kind of this big obese bearded guy. It's like right, but when he was in his twenties, he looked like Brando. He was just right. kind of the stud athlete looking guy and ladies like, man and all like that. Robert Baratheon. And, Honest, no, hey, on, honestly, well, and I, I wonder if that's deliberate. You're right; it's absolutely Robert Baratheon from Game of Thrones for. All these guys, the kind of the Brando route slash Henry VIII right. route, where yeah, just great yeah. young warriors who then just kind of rest on their laurels, I guess, and get overweight. So yeah, I think that's what I wanted to talk about on uh, Viva Zapata. Any any final thoughts before we kick it to next week here? No, no, it's a really good movie. I recommend it. So tune in next week when we're going to continue on this revolutionary kick that we had. You know, I guess last week with Russia, this week is Mexico. Next week is Ireland. So we're going to see the Irish Revolution next week with The Wind That Shakes the Barley. <laughs> <laughs>